Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. Enjoy the message. All right. All right, everybody. We are in Genesis chapter 41 this evening. Um, so you can turn there in your Bibles. Genesis. 41? Am I wrong? Just kidding. Oh, good. <laughs> Maybe nervous. Now, I do want to remind you of a couple things. Uh, if you want to flip back in your Bibles, remember chapter 37 is when Joseph uh, was sold into slavery. Uh, chap- he's going to be the main character of our study tonight, as he was last time. Genesis 39, you may recall. Um, all right, so he's a slave in Egypt, but things are going pretty well. He's rising up. He's got a pretty good job, quote-unquote, but then he gets uh, imprisoned on false charges there in chapter 39. And it's while he is in prison, chapter 40, that two prisoners have these troubling dreams and he uh, is able to interpret them as God enables him to. So um, that's all important to keep in mind because it kind of leads us to where we're going to be this evening. Um, Certainly Joseph's life wasn't going the way he probably would have liked uh, or preferred or expected, particularly after all those dreams. Um, But... Joseph, as far as we can tell, there's no indication. He continues to remain faithful each place he goes, positive, I guess, through the process. He works hard in those places. He works honorably. He works with integrity, not just so as not to offend um, his boss or something. We saw that in the last chapter or two chapters ago, but also so as not to offend God. So um, he's a solid guy, um, but he's in prison interprets his dream. What's the last thing he says to the uh, the chief cupbearer? Don't forget me when you get out of here. And what's it say in chapter 40, verse 23? He forgot. He did. But he forgot. He, um, now, we don't know how long Joseph was in prison. Um, but we do know it was at least two years, because if you look at chapter 41, verse 1, it says, after two whole years... I'm assuming that means after two whole years from chapter 40, mm-hmm. uh, but it could just mean two whole years of being in jail or whatever, but it seems like it's more the former. Um, and so there he is, uh, respected by the jailer, basically put in charge of the prison in some respects. Um, did oh, we the talked lo- about that last time, that the yeah, jailer was Potiphar. Oh, he's the captain of the guard. If it's if you read it, it said he was put in the house of the captain of the guard, and that's him. That's Potiphar. Uh, I didn't know that until I was teaching. I was like, "What?" So let me ask you: Do you think Potiphar put him in jail? Do you think Potiphar believed that he made a pass at his no. wife? You don't think so? I don't think so. Why? I think he knew Joseph's character. I think he knew his wife's character. Okay. And he ain't falling for the uh, he, he he had to do it to save face. Yeah. Okay. In his household, or at a minimum, he might have he might have flown off the handle and then realized, yeah, I didn't really need to do that. This guy didn't do what he's what my wife said he did. Okay. So, but nonetheless, he got to do it. So he puts him in jail. Yeah. Okay. All right. And he's the head of that jail. Well, it, it says he's the captain of the guard. Interesting. In chapter, when, when he goes, he was sold to Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's guard, or something like that. And that was the wording in 30, 
Thirty-nine one. Yeah. The captain of the guard. Okay. Yeah. And, and yeah. Chapter forty-four, verse forty-four. No, chapter forty, verse four, and it says the captain of the guard appointed Joseph. Huh. To be with. Oh, him. that's really cool. <laughs> that's weird, isn't it? Joseph was like, this stinks. <laughs> I got my same boss yet. Same boss is the new boss is the old boss. Is yeah. that what we say sometimes? I, I guess, yeah. Well, so let me ask you. Um, here's Joseph, many years in prison, slavery, all that. Did the Lord abandon him? No. 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 Come on, let's be honest. <laughs> no? No. no? Well, chapter 39, verse 21, it saith this. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So, you know, maybe on the outside, we could look at the story and think that the Lord had uh, abandoned him, but he was with him in the circumstances and was using them. All of these circumstances were going to accomplish uh, his purposes. And just flip up to chapter 50 for one second and look at verses 19 and 20. This is when Joseph is interacting with his son since after his dad has died. Uh, his son, or his brothers, I mean, his brothers, it seems they kind of think Joseph was nice to us when dad was alive, but now that he's dead, we're in trouble. But Joseph says in 50, verse 19, he says, But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil to, against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are uh, today. And so um, there may have been times where he doubted that this was all part of God's plan or something, that things had perhaps spiraled out of even God's control. But on the backside, looking at it, he could say with certainty that God had not lost control, that all of these things were happening because God had a plan and a purpose. And I, I guess the, the point of application for us is it's very easy for us to become blinded by the difficult circumstances that come and the key is to continue to walk through those things faithfully um, even if you don't understand and even when you're doubting um, because the time will come when you'll look back and you'll say you know what the Lord was with me every step of the way um, so yeah um, so what a statement by Joseph there huh in chapter 50 verse 19 and 20 I was a slave I was thrown into a pit by my brothers. I was a slave, uh, betrayed, if you will, by my boss's wife, um, imprisoned, forgotten about, all these things. But it's cool because God did good things to in other people's lives. All of that, you know, so I, I jotted a question. It's not really one to discuss, but you could if you want. Would it be all right with you if God used your life in this way to accomplish his purposes? And I, I think the good Christian says, oh, yeah, sure. You know what I mean? <laughs> But I, I think. But at the time, well. Why don't you take some time to think about that answer? Yeah. And that's something. So, Joseph really is a remarkable figure in the Bible. Um, so, we're going to do chapters 41 and maybe 2. What do you say? You in? You can do it. All right. Starting in verse 1. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive, long flowing hair, no, and plump. And they fed in the, re in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin. They came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And, if, and Pharaoh awoke. 
And he fell asleep, and he dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So, in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sat and he called for all the magicians of Egypt, and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Alrighty. So, just kind of running through those verses, first eight verses. Notice again, we mentioned a moment ago, after two whole years, I won't forget you, don't worry. Thanks, buddy, for all your help. Um, but the cupbearer does forget. And so there he is in prison again. And no doubt, thinking that guy's a jerk, but also perhaps thinking, Lord, what are you doing? Why the delay? You know, because it's almost as if you might have a little bit of faith that trust in God. And you're like, this stinks, I know it, but God's good. He's going to do it. And then the cupbearer comes and you heal, you know, you give him his dream or whatever, and he's going to go to Pharaoh. And in your mind, you start telling yourself, I see what God was doing. You know, he was waiting for that, and now the cupbearer, and I'm going to get out of here. And it doesn't happen. And then you're just like pushed down another level, it seems. And so I don't know if he was questioning. He seems to have much better character than I do, but. Uh, nonetheless, the Lord is delaying again. Maybe he inquired as to why. But God has a purpose in the delay, even when the purpose is not explained to us. Um, and God's going to move in his perfect timing, as we're going to see. It wasn't time yet. Um, doesn't make it easier, but nonetheless, that's the reality. Well, anyway, Pharaoh dreams. We see that in verse 1. Um, actually, he has two dreams here. First dream was about... What kind of cows? What's what, 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 <laughs> the fat gaunt. ones or, or, the, or the pretty ones? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> With the flowing some, hair, yeah. Right, some burgers and everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, nice, healthy, strong, yeah, good and meat. Then, then some sleek and bad. And, and then some ugly ones. Yeah, what's what's the difference? Where's the beef? Well, I imagine <laughs> real thin and gaunt and not very attractive. Come on, you go. You look at a nice piece of meat on it. You're like, look at that. I'm gonna eat that. You know, if you're looking at a piece of meat, even today, you go into a store. You don't know where that meat came from, do you? It's true. Well, anyway, depends where you go. Yeah, if you go into a farmer, you can pick your meat. You can pick right. a cow. Right. How many of us do that? You gonna pick a skinny old cow? <laughs> you want you, a big old fat one? You, you, you got a point. <laughs> Watch the movie Soylent Green. I'm just messing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so that's the first dream. Second dream is about grain. Grain. All right, good seven good grain ears or whatever, and, and seven thin ones. Very similar in detail. They both have the number seven. You have the full thick one consumed by the thin one, and so on. Now, if you go down to verse 32 for a second, Joseph is going to explain the reason for the second dream. Um, that its purpose is to kind of drive home the point, talk about it's it's going to happen, that kind of thing. 32 says, And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed and that God will surely bring it about. So you have these two dreams that Pharaoh has. Uh, they troubled him, and they particularly trouble him because it says in verse 8 that none could interpret them. You know, a couple of chapters or a book or so later, we're going to see that the Egyptian magicians were pretty impressive fellows. They were able to replicate some miracles and things like that, but they could not uh, interpret these dreams, and that probably just adds to the Pharaoh's uh, 
anxiety? What could they mean? So well, at least Pharaoh was nice enough to tell him his dreams. The king of Babylon. Yeah, I was, was thinking not that. Yeah. Very nice. <laughs> you tell me the dream and its interpretation. What? Yep. He knew that those guys <laughs> didn't know. So, verse 8 in detail says, In the morning his spirit was troubled. He sent and he called for all the magicians and wise men. Pharaoh told him his dreams, but no one uh, could interpret them. Um, so, there was something about these dreams that he knew they meant something. It wasn't just a, you know, a pizza dream. Um, this is something that meant something. It troubled him. Word begins to filter around the palace. I mean, my imagination, um, what's going on? Why is everybody running all around? Why is people, you know, Pharaoh well, looks so get worried. The Baker treatment pretty soon. Yeah, and then the cupbearer. I wonder if he's like dreams. I forgot, and he makes him aware of um, Joseph from two years earlier. My goodness. So then verse 9, Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offense today. When Pharaoh was angry with me, his servants, and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed in the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there, was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man. Where are we? Uh, to each man according to his dream and as he interpreted to us so it came about and I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged so two full years go by and now he remembers this fella here um, any comment on that? not really much comment alright 14 then Pharaoh sent and he called Joseph they quickly brought him out of the pit when he had shaved himself changed his clothes he came in before Pharaoh and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And this moment, really, when they come to the prison and they say, Come here, you're coming with us. And they begin shaving them and cleaning them up and all that kind of stuff. This now begins the reason that God had him go through all of these things. Now, commentators estimate that it was 13 years. Um, and I imagine, I'm sure everybody says it, so I'm sure there's, you know, you take this age from chapter 50 and this age from chapter 28, and, and somehow they figure it out. But for 13 years, he had gone all through all of these things. Um, and at the time that, remember, it all kind of began, the trouble began, when he was begging his brothers not to send him uh, or to kill him and then send him away with these slaves. Um, and none of those prayers seemed to be answered. And so I kind of ran through this. He, no doubt, he prayed when his brothers uh, seized him. You know, God, get me out of this. No doubt he prayed when he was thrown into a pit, when the price he would be sold for was being hassled. He was probably praying that it would just dad would show up or something he was praying no doubt as he journeyed to Egypt and you can just kind of go through every step of things that he was probably praying that God would deliver him and none of those prayers were really answered and so you've probably heard God answers prayers all the time yes no not now that kind of thing um, and I think this time God he could answer no he could answer not now but he could also answer, not like that. You want deliverance, but it's not going to come the way you think it's going to come. I'm not going to let you out of prison and, 
and so on, but you're going to rise up to number two in this uh, country or nation, empire, so you can save the world. So when God's timing is right, all of his purposes can be accomplished in an instant. Isn't that interesting? I don't know if you've experienced that in your life. Anybody? Yes. Have you? Not to that degree, but... (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to comment more? That's it? Mm. Okay. Were you going to say something? I was going to comment. Not to that degree. Well, certainly not to this degree. It's a pretty big degree. But, you know, I think I've seen things in my life where you're sort of waiting and waiting and waiting and tempted to kind of help God along or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And then just in an instant, the Lord does what he does. You know, it's remarkable. Um, So I think um, I can say it happened to me. It's like everything happened really quick. Like one thing happened, then all of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. Then it was everything done. Yeah. was like maybe on my shoulders or whatever. It was over. It was mm-hmm. done. It was over with. You know, any personal issues, things that you were going through, things that was going through with doctors and attorneys and all that stuff. It was like hanging on, hanging on, and all of a sudden, it was over. Mm-hmm. It was like this part of the, that is over with. On to the next. And it was mm-hmm. like, yeah, so it happened. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Yeah. And we don't deserve anything good. <laughs> no. Anything we get is you know, just His grace. I mean, I mean, God wants us to desire for Him to help us, but uh, I think we have to be careful that He's not gimme God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. we should always have that mindset of, you know, He bought us for a price. And, you know. Anything again, anything that is graceful and miraculous mm-hmm. should be uh, in worship. Just thank mm-hmm. you for yeah, our appreciation, should be mm. ongoing, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think for Joseph and uh, circumstances like that, just because it doesn't seem like God is doing anything or moving, um, doesn't mean he's not. And you know, whereas Joseph may have thought his prayers weren't being answered, really God was answering every one of those prayers, just in a different way, as he was, you know, prepping things. Um, but I think a valuable thing is through that whole process. Remember when Joseph had those dreams when he was a young man? Uh, it doesn't say how old he was. He was less than seventeen, and then he comes down and he said, "Hey, everybody, listen to my dreams," you know, and all of your sheets bowed down to mine. What do you think that could mean? You know, that kind of thing. It kind of seems like he was perhaps too immature at that point to be in the place he's going to be at the end of this chapter, Um, that he had some growing to do. And not just in chronological age, but he had some emotional maturing that he needed to do and some character needed to be built in him. And so if the opportunity came when he was 17 to rise to that place, I don't think he would have been ready for it. And so the difficulties that he went through, the ultimate thing that God is doing is producing in Joseph a character that will qualify him for the task that's ahead of him. And that reminds me of the Romans verse that we're probably familiar with, which I'll just read to you. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character. That's a key point I want to make. And then character produces hope, which does not disappoint and so God I think God is ultimately concerned about the character that he produces in us 
uh, which he's doing in Joseph here. Well, I think also he, he was the favorite of his father mm-hmm. because of because of his mother was was uh, Rachel, right? Yeah. So his the favoritism he was just the spoiled brat, if you will. And I don't want to say brat; I say that in the sense of he was the favorite. It's pretty clear that's what the scripture says. Yeah. So yeah, th- then that gets taken away from him, and then he sees. But wait a minute, I am being favored by. Potiphar, and then I got favored by the jailer and the captain of the guard, and now he's going to get favored by Pharaoh, and he's going to realize, well, it's really not because of me, it's not because of my mother at this point, it's because of God. I think that's Hmm. another big thing that he's going to, you know, he kind of even says it, giving God the credit for even... The ability to interpret dreams, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of the the character building that... He's spoiled, but it's not because of, you know. Yep. Yes, absolutely. So as, as Mark said, he says in verse 16, it's not me. Uh, you know, and Joseph certainly was a gifted man. He was an excellent leader. He was a man of integrity. Um, he has this gift, the ability to interpret dreams or whatever. But I think the most important thing that qualifies him for service to the God is the acknowledgement that though he was gifted, he was gifted. That is, it wasn't from him. I don't know, does your school have gifted and talented programs? It certainly does. I was <laughs> thinking about this today. Why are you smiling? We certainly have one. Okay. So a lot of like middle schools, elementary schools, um, what maybe we might call honors programs or advanced, yeah. today they call it G&T or gifted and talented. Mm-hmm. And it caused me to think today, gifted by whom? Because in most public schools, they paint this idea of evolution and things like that. But who's doing the gifting of these kids that are supposedly gifted? The parents that (laughs) the parents that push these are the ones. Well, okay. Well, anyhow, child is. (laughs) Well, I mean, you gotta you gotta realize. I mean, there are there is a bell curve, right? Oh, absolutely. So you could just say genetics. Oh, it's genetics. Gifted Gifted. by the genes. You were good. You had good genetics. Uh Yeah. I think it's God. Well, I agree too. I agree, <laughs> I agree too. You asked who, who are they students? Is, yeah. Who are the atheistic school people saying it is? But yeah, to, to the point, yeah, there are those kids who have that yeah. certain thing. Sure. Somebody gave that person. And I, but I, I mean, I do believe in nature and nurture, certainly. Yeah. And certain people are able to probably succeed, but it sure does help to have mom sitting there making sure you're turning right. the TV off and reading a book and right. stuff some like that. Some people like science, some mm-hmm. people don't. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, so knowing that he is gifted, it's not, you were just saying the same thing, Mark. Uh, Joseph's careful. He points them back uh, to God. Um, I love this. You know, often, you know, I was reading uh, Chuck Colson's book, Born Again. You guys ever read that? No, Sometime I think I might have. Yeah. I've, I used to read it like once every summer. Um, I just found it so interesting. Chuck Colson was, do you know who that is? No. He was the, uh, he was a senior advisor in the Nixon administration. That and what he was doing? He, they called him uh, the hatchet man. Um, he basically, if there were problems, Nixon himself couldn't do it, but he would go and take care of people. He wouldn't kill anybody, but he would ruin their careers, that kind of thing. Um, and Colson, he describes himself, was very similar to Nixon Nixon went to Brown University, I believe it was, um, couldn't get into Harvard, uh, and always saw himself as sort of an outsider to the Ivy League 
that ran things. I don't know if this interests any of you, but I'll tell you anyway. Well, Colson was in that same, um, same thing. Okay. And so those guys kind of saw themselves as like, Brothers, you know, no. we got to stay together, man, you know, this kind of thing. Um, well, anyway, he, he shares that when people would come into the presence of power, oftentimes that power would immediately go to their head and they'd become like a changed person there. Some just kind of quibble and they freak out. I'm going to be tough and then they're not when they get there. But others sort of start, you know, trying to position and jockey and who I know and how can I get to the next place and, and all this sort of stuff. And what I, I find interesting about Joseph, he's, Pharaoh is probably, arguably, the most powerful person in the world at this time. And he gets into his presence and instead of trying to build himself up so that this most powerful guy can reward me in some way or another, he downplays himself and plays up God. And I just admire him for that. Um, instead of building himself up, glorifying himself, angling for himself, uh, he does the opposite, and he gives God the glory that's due his name. And um, Anyway, he says to Pharaoh, God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Again, I think he's grown up a lot since the days where he was boasting in front of his brothers. And uh, again, though the years were hard, God built a character in him and prepared him for this moment. Um, so let God do all your preparing, preparing work in you as well. All right, verse 17. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks. We know this dream. Uh, we'll read it. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up. Then they fed in the grass. Seven other cows poor and very ugly and thin, such as I've never seen in the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known they had eaten them. So no change, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. <laughs> That's terrible. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good, seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the wind, sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the good ones. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. So, uh, Pharaoh relays the dream uh, to Joseph. Um, the reason, verse 19, the dream is so troubling is because the normal order of things isn't happening. The, the thin, ugly cows eat these big old plump cows and nothing happens to them. And now all that's left is ugly cows. What does this mean? So he's troubled. 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven golden cows are seven years. The seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are seven years. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God, and that God will shortly bring it about. Now, why would God reveal to Pharaoh, he's not a Christian, quote-unquote, why would he reveal to Pharaoh what he's about to do? For the good of his people. For the good of the people of Israel. Yeah. And who else? For who else is good? Well, Us. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because the Messiah, yeah, yeah. you know, ultimately. Who were you thinking? Well, because he, he, he has, you know, he doesn't want all the people in Egypt to die either. I mean, they weren't, 
They weren't bad people at that point. They hadn't oppressed the Israelites or anything like Not that. The, yeah, yeah, we yeah. don't know of anything. Um, but ultimately, it's to preserve his people. Already, so that seems a little. Uh, I don't know what centric. Well, you said when you said so, Romans, I thought you were going to do Romans eight twenty eight. All things, all things work for good. And, you know, that doesn't just mean the things that happen to you. It also means the things that happen to, you know, the the unbeliever. It's completely railing against God. Somehow, God is working with that. It's happening to that person for your good, or for the good of His people mm-hmm. in a general sense. So, yeah. Well, the dreams of Pharaoh are one, Joseph says. Um, so he compares the seven cows and the seven ears that were healthy to seven good years, and then the, the ugly ones to seven uh, bad years. He says that the years of the famine are going to be so bad that the glory years of the the whatever, the harvest, the good harvest, is going to not even be remembered. And I was, I was thinking again, with the Great Depression in the United States um, and how difficult that it was in America, um, came right after the Roaring Twenties mm-hmm. and you know, the Gilded Age of the the teen years and so on of just how people had so much money to spend around and how the we just came right after that. Um, it's kind of amazing how that happens. But uh, he also talks about in verse thirty-two the doubling of the dream. Um, so notice this that. Dream is two dreams, different dreams happen, and Joseph says that this is what that means. It'll surely come to pass, uh, and it will shortly come to pass. Um, later on, you're going to see two dreams as well, so perhaps there's a pattern that's being established there. Well, verse 32 God will, he says, um, tell the most powerful man in the world that you have no control over this, Pharaoh. Um, God's going to bring about. Uh, what he has determined to happen, and it's going to happen. Um, so, probably a good thing for Pharaoh to hear. Um, but anyway, he continues, Joseph does. He says in 33, Let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him up over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over land and take one fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. Let him gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. Um, So, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man. Do you think he... uh, He kind of stood up a little taller, he being Joseph? He was totally surprised. I do too. Right, so I don't think he's angling there. I don't think he's like, you know, uh, <laughs> he's whatever. Just, he's just um, interpreting your dream. Yeah. He, I, he's probably thinking, you're not going to hire me. Right. Yeah, probably going back to jail or whatever. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for your time. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Which I think is great. Um, you know, he's yeah. just trying to help Pharaoh make sense of it, and then he's about to move on or whatever. Um, and he gives him good wins- uh, insight. You know, here's a guy who, you know, he didn't. Let me let me take this problem. Let me go back, think about it, bang out some numbers, and come up with a plan for you. But on the spot, he comes up with this plan. He says, "Let Pharaoh appoint overseers to collect one fifth of the produce of the land, twenty um, percent taxes. That's not too bad compared to uh, <laughs> what we hear. I hear that currently in the United States, you work from January to May fifteenth. 
uh, if you work a full-time job, to pay your taxes for the year. Um, so what's that? Almost half. Almost 45 percent. You know, almost 50 yeah. percent. You know, so that's a lot. You know, <laughs> these guys 20 percent. Not a bad deal. Um, he says take one fifth uh, of the produce here. Um, is there any truth to this? I don't know. Maybe you guys do. But the pyramids had to do with the storing grain or something. No, that's what that's what Carson said. He was that him and that I said get, that. Yeah, my friends mock me about that at work. Okay. He thought he was an absolute nutcase. Okay. Hermetically sealed, you know, they could use the pyramids. I don't think it's the right time frame. They were built at two different times. I think so. Okay. Well, the the, the slaves built the pyramids. Yeah, but I don't know if it was the Hebrew slaves or okay. if it was other slaves. I see. Okay. Because at least the documentaries I've seen, it basically says that the pharaohs enslaved their own people to build the pyramids. Hmm. Right? So I don't know if it was... I don't know if the time frame. I mean, yeah. Somebody'd have to look and see which whose 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 pyramids were they, and did the did the pharaohs? Did they match up? That's interesting. Yeah. Now, after, at the end of this, when when the uh, bad years come, and the Egyptians have to sell all their land, or like yeah. they have to trade their land in for food or whatever, eventually, do they become slaves? Well, I think they even call themselves slaves. We will be your slaves for food, yeah. that kind of thing. Huh. It would be interesting when they built those. Well, anyway, take one fifth of the produce. I would suggest here's a good, valuable principle to store up um, in the good years in preparation for who knows what may come out of the bad years. Now, mm -hmm. certainly there's the New Testament. You know, uh, Jesus talks about, you know, where they store up all these things and I'm going to tear down these barns and put up new ones so I can store more stuff and you fool you know you don't you don't even know this very day that you're going to die I don't think those words are meant to imply that we're not to have a retirement account or something like that or an emergency fund like uh, what's his name Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey would talk about and things like that I think it's a good valuable principle you know oftentimes uh, you know you get a little extra income or something like that and it's like, all right, where can I spend it? You know, kind of thing. And maybe there would be some wisdom into putting some away. Um, well, there's also Ecclesiastes talks about, you know, mm -hmm. cast your bread upon the waters, and many days will come back to you. Give portions to six, even to seven, for you do not know which one will prosper and which one will fail. Mm. So, not only saving, but also diversification. That's good. Very good. Don't put it underneath your, your mattress. That's probably not a good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> and hopefully our elected officials will take a lesson about taxation from here as well. That'd be nice. Cap it at 20. Not Christy. No? He likes taxes? No, he's been uh, trying to avoid raising taxes so that they can. he can say, I, I didn't have to raise taxes. Except, there you go. Except for the... How is he going to... Refill the transportation trust fund, which is a different issue for a different day. There you go. <laughs> well, if he brings it down to 20, I'll vote for him. <laughs> that would be great. Well, anyway, verse 36. So that the lamb may not perish uh, through this famine. Um, and so why did God give Pharaoh these dreams in that night? To save the world. Really, and Joseph realizes that. And so he says, look, he didn't just tell you this for your information. He told you this for your action. 
and you need to do something to prepare for this because to ignore it would be a serious problem. And so, uh, verse 37, uh, you need to get somebody who's going to oversee all this. Verse 37, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? And I'm sure Joseph was like, I'm sorry. You know. <laughs> then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there's none so discerning as wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand, he put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen. He took his own ring and put it on his hand. And he uh, put a gold chain around his neck, a little Mr. T action. <laughs> and he made him ride in the second chariot, and they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent no one shall lift up hand or foot in the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went, all out, went out over the land of Egypt. Well, <clears throat> in a moment, he, uh, all of those dreams from, I guess, what did it say, 13 years earlier, uh, are fulfilled, um, or even more than that, probably, um, but just in a moment, and God can do it, you know, and, and a lot of, again, a lot of times, you know, the, sometimes there is a sense of what God kind of wants to do in our lives, but we just don't know the timing of that, and I think we try to so often we try to scheme our way to that place and we don't need to God's going to do what God's going to do I heard a great quote by somebody on this but I can't think of it so I'll move on (laughs) were you going to say something you took a deep breath well yeah you're saying that the dreams that he had about the sun moon and stars bowing down and the she's bowing down well what I mean is um, because I know that's his brothers and stuff what I mean is to be in a place where that's going to happen you know what I mean like When he's in jail, that's not going to happen. Sure. And so it's just silliness almost. But the Lord orchestrated it and brought it to this place. That's not going to happen for, what, maybe ten years more. Um, seven at least. Well, anyway, he says, Can we find a man like this? Faithful, capable. Uh, his faithful and capable service um, brought him to this place. So had he given in to the desires of uh, Potiphar's wife, uh, he may have been killed uh, for that behavior. You know, had he gotten to prison and said, "Don't come around me. I don't want to talk to anybody," kind of thing, and instead of just faithfully served there with integrity, then he wouldn't have been brought to that attention and so on. Uh, and so, it's important to be faithful in who's, the littlest of things, and God will give you opportunities greater. Who's who's on? I think it's a town. It's a stone. Potiphar, priest of On. It, it could either be a town or a person. Or, or maybe it's a god. Or a, or a false god. Yeah, maybe. I don't know the answer to that. If only someone could go on Blue Letter Bible and find out. <laughs> Who could do that? Now, notice in verse 38, uh, Pharaoh says, In whom is the Spirit of God? And I looked it up. Tell me about in it. In the Hebrew, and it says, Ruach Elohim. Okay. So, obviously, Moses is writing it, so he may be, I don't know what, I don't know what Pharaoh meant, but that's what was written. That's the actual Hebrew. Okay. What's Ruach mean? Spirit. Okay. Or wind. Okay. Yeah. 
in Hebrew. In Hebrew. But it's used spirit yeah. connotatively, though. Yeah. Okay. So is why is that significant to you? Well, no, because I was curious about it's you know it's written capitalized in my in my Bible, Spirit of God. So I didn't, but I didn't know whether the words that Pharaoh used were, you know, kind of like what Nebuchadnezzar said, the Spirit of the Holy Gods. That seems a little bit more nebulous. Sure. G sure. with a small G. Uh huh. God with a small G. Yeah. But this seems to be at least the way it's written. Okay, so does this mean that the Holy Spirit came into? Joseph, as we would be familiar with in the New Testament? I don't think so. Well, it can't be absolutely the same. Okay. So, Pharaoh may be observing the Spirit of God at work in Joseph, um, has come upon Joseph, as you know, you see other examples in the Old Testament. He says, in whom is the Spirit of God, but that doesn't necessarily mean, theologically, that that's what was going on. That's a New Testament idea. Uh, but nonetheless, he sees God's spirit at work in Joseph. This guy is something else. He's different, um, and so on. And so for him, that's part of the qualifications for him to get this job. He gives him the number two job in the kingdom. Only in matters to the throne will you be subservient or whatever. And again, in a matter of a few hours, he'd gone from rotting in a prison cell to being the number two man in the most powerful kingdom in the world. Um, an overnight su- success, but the reality is it wasn't an overnight it was success. A long night. <laughs> it was. It was many, many years. Chapter 37, uh, verse 2, will say that he was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. Chapter 41, verse 36, will say, well, you do the math. Oh, wait a minute, not 36. Maybe it's 42, 36. Somewhere it's going to say he's 30. 46. Verse 46? Mm-hmm. Of chapter 41? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So what's that? 13 years? 13. That's a long time coming. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So I guess that's how they figured that out, the 13 years there. So uh, a servant of God needs to have more than gifts and abilities. Uh, but as we said earlier, they need to have character. Um, and so God forged that in Joseph through those difficulties. So just to clarify, oh, go ahead. Just to sidetrack. Yeah. Own is a city in lower Egypt, bordering uh-huh. land of Goshen, center of sun worship, and residence of Potiphar, a priest of Own and father-in-law of Joseph. Okay, thank you. There you go. So that's that's own, a huh? town. There's a private okay. priest in the sun worship town. We're not going there. God, I was going to ask you about that. No, we're not going to go there. Why? You want to go to the sun worship capital? <laughs> All right, verse 45. Just to, yeah, so, I'm so sorry. So the Old me. Testament, you know, the spirit of God in versus on, mm-hmm. right? Well, I mean, I think theologically we have to say that all the Old Testament saints were, they were born again in the sense they had a, I mean, you, you can't be saved unless God takes you from dead to alive. Correct. But I don't know, yeah, we don't know how that operated with them, right? We know David said, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. We know that Saul was was anointed, uh, and he seemed to, and then it was taken away. So, yeah, I, I, but there has to be some, for the saints, there has to be some, like Joseph, I think we would assume he's, he's saved, he, he's yeah. going to be in heaven. Mm-hmm. How did that work with him? I don't know. I think you, somewhat of a clumsy 
comparison where you had prophets in the Old Testament. Right. You don't have prophets in the New Testament. When someone did prophesy, it was like how the Spirit came on someone. Mm -hmm. And then it, like it wasn't a permanent filling. Like when someone prophesies, God gives you that at that moment. Yeah. And you may not have it in the next, you know. People who claim to be, I'm a prophet, that kind of, kind of puts the caution light on. But it's like know. somebody like Samuel. Like I think he was anointed a prophet. And okay. He was that was his office or whatever. So maybe it was the Holy Spirit was like a garment as opposed to an indwelling. Yeah, like like I think you, you kind of have a flip flop okay. after yeah, Jesus. That's interesting. You know. Okay. Where you know now we're filled with the Spirit. Right. Or indwelled at minimum. Sure. Where that's like a permanent thing, but again, someone who prophesies these days, it's a God will give you that whatever, right. you know, to teach or, or to actually, you know, speak into somebody or whatever. I don't think that's an, an or like healing. I'm a healer. Well, no, you're not. <laughs> you know, <laughs> God, God may have used you and you had that leap of faith in God and, you know, honored that. But right. I, don't, I don't believe people have like, I'm a healer or I'm this or I'm that. It's like, man, you're, right. you're God will gift you at the time that it's needed. But I guess yeah. I'm taking it even back into the fundamental step of believer versus non-believer or saved yeah. versus not saved. Yeah. At I, that level, even even somebody who didn't prophesy in the Old Testament, uh, Ruth. Right. Indirectly. You know, we believe she, we believe she was a saved. Or uh, what was the Rah Rahab? Right. Somehow God sure. did something spiritually, mm -hmm. took that person from a dead, right. spiritually dead to spiritually alive, mm -hmm. And it has to be a... Well, I think repentance is evident in those people, too. No, absolutely. Right. So even going beyond the, the big... Even going beyond the gifting of the Spirit. Right, right. Prophecy and all the healing and all that stuff. I'm just saying, even the salvation experience... Right. ...has to be... So when we say that the Holy Spirit wasn't in them, well, it had to be... It worked. He had to be in some he, way. He he was doing something. Just, right. I think the the whole being indwelt yeah. didn't happen until after Jesus. It's very interesting to consider <laughs> the idea of regeneration and so on. Um, so. Because some people would say the Old Testament saints were saved by looking ahead. Well, that's fine, but they still had to have something happen to them. Yeah, so, absolutely. You right. know? Mm -hmm. Sure. Because the faith that we have is given to us, too, so they had to have been given absolutely. You know, mm -hmm. Ephesians 2. You're right. Oh, boy. I thought sorry, I, little, sorry, little I thought I knew before I came in. <laughs> well, verse 45, Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Paneah. You know, it struck me, you know, a lot of times nicknames, like from Joseph to Joe, you know, you go down. You yeah, know, yeah. Um, he yeah, went from, from Joe to Zaphnath Paneah. There is a Jewish legend, uh, no real support for it, that each letter of Zaphnath Paneah in the Egyptian language there meant something and like an acronym of sorts and it spelled out some praise to God or the God, whatever. Um, I also saw some, uh, this is what the name means or whatever, and one was Treasury of the Glorious Rest and another one was God Speaks and He Lives. Uh, very different, you know what I mean? But uh, commentators have whole variety of means but nonetheless his name is changed to Zafnath Panea uh, and he's given a wife uh, her name is uh, Asanath or something like that mm -hmm. um, there is a 
again, another Jewish legend um, that has no basis that this lady is the daughter of the union that happened when Dinah was raped by Shechem, who was abandoned uh, in uh, down toward Egypt, and that she survived or whatever, and is now given to Joseph as a uh, partially Jewish one. But again, there's there's really no reason at all to believe it. It's just what Jewish tradition is. Kind oh, of so you were gonna say the daughter of. So you're gonna say Potiphar married the offspring of Dinah's. Yes. Okay. And then Asenath is their that granddaughter, I guess, or. Yeah. Whatever it may be. Keep it in the family, that's what you're saying. Right. So, but, again, as we said, there's no... It's just... Okay, if that's, you know, we'll make something up. You know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, maybe it's true. But anyway, he is married to this lady. Verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh, went through all the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. The earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities he put in every city the food from the fields around it and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it anymore because it could not uh, be measured. Well, there's some evidence that it, they didn't put the grain in the, in the pyramids Yeah, because it was in every city. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Um, a couple of things that stand out to me certainly this is very wise to do um, but also, it shows a lot of restraint. Again, I kind of alluded to this. You know, when, when you get that money in your pocket, it's easy to spend it. Um, and it shows a lot of restraint to, to store it up during the, the plenty years. Um, and he collects the 20%, uh, as it says there, over the first seven years. Verse 15, that before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, uh, one of their twins. Uh, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. That's nice. Um, I mean, forgetting the hardship part. Uh, verse 52, the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now, both Manasseh and Ephraim are Hebrew names, um, which means Joseph retains that even though he's in the midst and kind of number two in the kingdom and all that he remains his uh, he uh, maintains his uh, Jewishness there. Manasseh means causing to forget that's why he says I forgot my trouble, forgot my family uh, and so on. Um, 13 years of affliction he's able to forget or even maybe longer than that before the year so add six more years or whatever so almost uh, well the 13 years were bad six years were good um, and then the other guy, his name is Ephraim, which means doubly fruitful. Um, sounds like a cereal. Uh, but uh, the idea is just, I was blessed with Manasseh, and now I'm doubly blessed here, you know. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, gives his kids Hebrews names. He says, God has made me forget, for God has caused me to be fruitful. Uh, and I think there's a good point there for us, because... The point I want to make is, I think a lot of people in Christ, and maybe out of Christ, but can never really move forward and begin to really experience just sort of peace and God's blessing and joy because of things that happened in their past 
that they're just not willing to forget. Mm. Uh, and obviously we can't forget, you know, all pain and all hurt that comes our way. But so we're going to still remember those things, but we can forgive, we can move on, we can move forward. And I think a lot of people can never get to this place up here where there's the joy and blessing and fruitfulness because they're stuck back here. Uh, and I'm sorry that happened. You know what I mean? But why ruin all this up here? Yeah. You know, move forward. And Joseph, Joseph does that. And uh, and so I, I just like that in the two names, you know, forget and fruitful. I think there's a little picture of what God did. Well, we got a couple more verses. We're not going to be able to get... I was thinking three chapters, but it's not happening. Uh, verse 53. The seven years occurred uh, in the land of Egypt. They came to an end, and the seven years famine began. And Joseph, as Joseph had said, there was famine in all the lands. But in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. Some of your versions say something like all the world or something, or uh, all over the earth, I think it says. Um, it's the same word. It could be translated all the earth. It could be translated all the land. So that's why you see sort of it different in different versions. Um, when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you do. Wow, what power, huh? Mm -hmm. so, when, oh, so when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened up the storehouses and he sold to the Egyptians for the famine was severe in the land. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain uh, because the famine was severe over all the earth. There it is, um, which could also be over all the land. Um, so because God had warned the nation, because Joseph had taken the steps of preparation, Egypt became a supply source uh, for that whole region. Um, again, number two, man. Uh, there, um, I suspect it was more regional famine, uh, but it could have been the entire world. Who knows? Um, and, and, and even the famine itself being, as you know, even if it was regional, it still would have reached into Canaan. Mm -hmm. It's again, that's God's working to get his yep. people to come on down. Yeah. For your 400 years of slavery, aren't you happy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. We know that it reaches into that land. Um, and again, Joseph's life, it's filled with difficulty. Um, but God's using all of that to preserve uh, many people. And that's where I was reminded of Romans 8.28, as Mark said. That we, we know that all things work together for good uh, to those that love God and are called according to his purposes. I, I would just say this. I'd be careful with that verse, um, how you share it with people. Um, it's usually not one that you just want thrown at you when you're in the midst of something. Um, it's kind of a verse to handle with care. Um, Respect it. And it's almost better for a person to kind of come to the realization on their own of that verse how it speaks into their circumstances. So just be gentle, I guess, in, in using it. Amen? Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, I guess we'll, we'll stop there because it is kind of late. Um, but that was fun. Yes. Sir. You guys are all right. I like you guys. We like you too. <laughs> oh, good. You got that on tape. <laughs> <laughs>